Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 589 of the Juicebox podcast. I had a terrific conversation with Arwa. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She came to the United States from Saudi Arabia. When she got to the United States, she got herself a PhD and then moved back home where she is now a nurse scientist and the first pediatric nurse practitioner in the country of Saudi Arabia. I think you're going to find that our conversation is about more than diabetes. It's about how difficult change happens, and it shines a spotlight on one person's effort to make that change. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're from the United States and have type 1 diabetes or from the United States and care for someone with type 1, please take just a few moments to go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box and fill out the survey. It'll only take you less than 10 minutes. It helps people living with type 1. It helps research and it supports the show. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Today's episode is also sponsored by Touched by Type 1. Please head over to touchedbytype1.org or, and, and, or find them on Facebook and Instagram. Touched by Type 1 helps people living with type 1 diabetes, and you may be very interested and how they do that. There are links in the show notes of your podcast player and links at juiceboxpodcast.com to these and all of the sponsors. My name is Arwa Alhamid. I am uh, from Saudi Arabia. Identifying myself as a pediatric nurse practitioner. Right now I'm um, not practicing per se, but I'm uh, an assistant professor at the university um, um, in the School of Nursing, where I am uh, teaching pediatric nursing to undergrad. I'm also um, doing clinical instructing uh, for the pediatric nursing care course. I'm also involved in um, research with um, pediatric who are affected by chronic illnesses, uh, focusing on their cognitive functions, um, psychosocial um, um, health, as well as transitioning, uh, and quality of life. Wow. Okay. Well, how does that all happen? Let's, um, how old are you? Uh, I'm 30, 33, have you been reaching in, 34. Have you been so, in college since you were seven? <laughs> 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 yeah, I think I've been in school most of my life. Mm-hmm. I practiced nursing on the bedside for three years, but then I immediately joined the post-grad, um, where I just came back from the U.S. actually um, two years ago. So yeah, for for more information, I did my master and PhD in the U.S., uh, part of it in New York, and then the other part in uh, Ohio, Cleveland. This is where I met Julia Blanchett. That's right. And Julia, who's been on the show a number of times, um, and she introduced us. Yeah, that was really sweet. So how do you, when you decide, I don't want to be a bedside nurse anymore, I'm going to get a, a PhD. 
what's the what's the search like for where to go look for it? Right. So uh, it's actually it was not um, a time where I didn't want to do a bedside. I I I would never stop doing bedside. I see. But at that moment, in the place where I was working, it sounded to me like a dead end, and I was. Um, I found myself uh, into studying more, uh, specializing more uh, in uh, academic um, uh, areas because at that time my only option was either to um, continue to be only the uh, on the bedside or do admin work. The the career path for nurses at that time was not um, not promising from my perspective mm-hmm. in terms of higher education, I and I was. Yeah, I was always hoping that I finish my uh, um, undergrad and then proceed to master's and PhD immediately. Uh, I was worried that uh, continuing to be on the bedside area will prevent me from um, doing my master's and PhD. At that time, there was no option to go to do my master's and PhD through uh, through the hospital. So the only option was to me is uh, move to academia. I see. And and there was an opening and they wanted um, um, people to come and, and, and uh, work there as teaching assistants. And then they would sponsor them to go and do their master's and PhD. So they come back and teach at that time. And we still have a big shortage in um, faculty uh, in, in the nursing um, undergraduate uh, studies. What's the length of time you spent in the U.S.? About seven years. Wow, by yourself, or did you go with family? Mm. No, by myself. Of course, family would visit every now and then. No, but still, you moved from where you are now to yes, like the Midwest <laughs> yeah. of the United States, or I guess not really. Where were you in in Ohio? Right? I started in New York. I started in New York. Actually, I was very shocked with the snow. Uh, <laughs> so many times, I wanted to go back just because of the snow. So I'm very glad that my brother was with me initially. He came with me for the first three weeks to just help me settle, etc. If he wasn't there at that time, I would have been put right in, in Saudi because I couldn't uh, stand the, the snow. It, like it, it didn't make sense to me. Yeah, the people listening. <laughs> How it's that, yeah. The yeah. people listening will know because we started recording after we talked about it, but you started in a room that was a little noisy and I said, you know, it, it, what is that? And you said, oh, it's air conditioning. And I said, can you turn it off? And you were like, no, I'll die. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, the snow must have yeah. been, I mean, how, what's the temperature outside where you are now? Mm, about 102. Wow. 100, yeah. Yeah. And that's only the beginning. <laughs> Your summer runs concurrent with ours, so you're in spring right now, moving into summer? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, our spring is basically your summer. (laughs) (laughs) And then it gets different summer that you'll never have, hopefully you'll never experience, unless you happen to visit in the summertime, which I don't recommend. (laughs) You think I'll just burn up like a piece of paper, probably? Especially in the central parts of Saudi. If you go south, it would be nicer. It's it's mountainy, hilly. Mm-hmm. But in uh, in the central area, it's really really hot and dry and dusty. <laughs> we get lots of sandstorms. So you you know how you guys spend most of your winter indoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the same thing, but in the summertime. Most of the month we spend in the summer are indoors just because we cannot do anything without the AC. So it's you're either in a mall, in a restaurant, or in, in, in the house, yeah, mostly indoors. And and the trunk of your car has seven cases of water in it just in case. 
you stop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you wouldn't do this because it, it will be very hot. <laughs> it's not good for drinking anymore. What about in the evenings? How how much does it cool down? Um, it's still very hot. Sometimes some nights are nicer than the others, but generally it's not really nice. Gotcha. Wow. Mm. That sounds terrible, but I understand being mm. scared by the snow because I hate the snow and I was born here. So uh, mm. you see it and and that wind, right? Especially in New York City, people who've never been there don't know that the wind whips one way through the city. So you can be yes. w- walking down one block where you're where you're shielded from it and you're just like, oh, this isn't so bad. Then you get to the intersection and a wall of frozen air just hits you mm-hmm. and doesn't stop. <laughs> right oh. it will make you be tearful <laughs> i i didn't know that kind of a phenomena <laughs> when you feel like you were crying in the middle of the wind just because of how strong is the wind yeah oh, that must have been mm. a heck of a shock okay so you were in man mm. uh you were in, in new york for a while and then you went to ohio after that correct okay um so you get a master's and what was your phd in um, so I did my master's as a, a pediatric nurse practitioner mm-hmm. and I finished and I immediately, um, got accepted in, um, Case Western, uh, uh in the, in their, uh, PhD of nursing program. And my focus was basically, um, the cognitive functions, um, together with some of, um, specific, uh, cognitive measures and quality of life in children who are living with, um, chronic uh, renal disease um, or early stages of renal failure. It's interesting. Let me ask you another question before I get to that, though. Um, The U.S. health system versus what you were coming from in Saudi Arabia, were there vast differences or was it fairly similar? What did you find? Okay. So um, right now we kind of have – both systems, if, if, I, if I would say, yes, the, the Saudi has uh, the, the government-funded um, healthcare system, meaning that every Saudi citizen is entitled for free healthcare. And we have a um, certain amount of uh, government hospital. In addition, we also have private sector, like health uh, uh, uh health services being offered through private sector, meaning we have hospitals, private hospitals. If you want to go pay out of your pocket, you can, you can still do that. Mm. Um, now it's, it's um, increasing. It, it seems like the country is even now giving more support to uh, private, um, um, to private companies to open and establish more um, uh, hospitals, clinics, etc. So both of them are flourishing at the same time. Um, Generally, everyone is entitled for this, especially also those who uh, go to the military or work in the military or in the National Guard, for example, in my case, they also can have their um, access to their uh, military hospitals. Um, what happens is because of, 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 of that, still, we, you're not, you're not going to get um, quick access to healthcare unless, of course, if it's emergency. Emergency mm-hmm. rooms are open, but thinking about dental health, dermatology, or like those primary healthcare services, we will have to wait um, sometimes months to get um, appointments. And this is where you might choose to go to private. It, it, so uh, not completely for specific services if you uh, if you need. For, for speed uh, there of being are seen. also the... Mm, I'm sorry, for, for the but, speed of being seen, or are there quality differences as well? 
no, for the mostly for the speed of uh, being seen. Okay. Uh, I, I'm pretty lucky living in Riyadh because we're still a little bit decentralized, where all the good services are located in Riyadh. So usually, or in this case, the government hospitals as well as the private uh, hospitals offer pretty good quality. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally would choose to go into uh, government because most of the government um, hospitals are educational or university hospitals. So you're being treated with like, very, um, you know, long-standing um, uh, uh, medicine, medical uh, colleges and uh, nursing uh, schools, etc. Um, with that being said, I also need to um, make clear is uh, if you work in companies, some uh, some big companies they offer also your uh, they can offer you um, what do you call it medical insurance, mm-hmm. uh, and it depends on of course on the coverage uh, level etc. They have levels depending on your position etc. And now the country is moving toward pushing all those who work in private sector to um, to uh, <clears throat> offer all their employees. Um, medical insurance. That's interesting. So that's why it's now it's confusing. We have both systems. Right. Well, and it's also interesting that here people are complaining about health insurance and pushing for a private, you know, a lot of people want a private answer uh, or excuse me, a government answer where everybody's sort of covered, you know, at the same rate. And there Mm -hmm. you have that and you're moving towards medical insurance. I don't think we're moving, but I think it's becoming more prevalent. Right, right. Okay. Um, it's. It, I think it's because of the high load that the uh, government hospitals are facing, mm. uh, especially from those who are not covered under military hospitals. We have many military hospitals, big hospitals. Uh, so the load will for the other like citizens will will fall onto some. Uh, big government hospitals where you will have to wait sometimes months, sometimes years to do um, procedures. And I think one strategy is that the government is trying to support more uh, entrepreneurs to open uh, private hospitals. And then we will help you paying for, for, um, for insurance. Just make sure that everyone has at least an option. So they don't have to wait months and months for the government, right? You it's, know what I mean. Yeah. So you, you will still be entitled for uh, the government uh, service, but uh, instead of waiting, you can still have other options. Okay. Now, what about mm. the standards of care? Did they vary between there and here, or were they pretty similar? Right. Um, many hospitals in Riyadh um, and in Jeddah, the, the two main large cities in um, Saudi and um, the east uh, in the east uh, coast. We have an, another two big cities. Most of the hospitals there are JCI accredited. I think Joint Commission uh, uh, accredited most of them. Um, so I'm assuming most of the hospitals follow the U.S. standards. I see. Specifically, the um, military hospitals. Um, surprisingly, um, a lot of them um, worked or collaborated with uh, develop. Uh, what United States developers, like so for example, in, in my case, in my hospital, um, they um, they collaborated with some uh, companies from the U.S. early on to establish those uh, standards, even in terms of um, equipment, etc. Hmm. 
What about mm-hmm. in diabetes specifically? If you're if you're diagnosed there today, what mm-hmm. happens? Do you get you don't get regular and MPH insulin? You get you get modern insulins, right? Like some version of Novolog, Humalog, that kind of stuff. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. And do people start off with injections? Because I get a lot of um, letters from people living in your area asking mm-hmm. if I know how to get CGMs and insulin pumps there. That actually happens mm. frequently. Are they not readily available? Um, they are. But again, um, I would still um, consider, well, it's very important to to mention that <clears throat> still services are um, mostly and like heavily provided in central uh, areas or big cities. Mm-hmm. So maybe you will hear that from um residents of um, rural areas or areas far away from uh, the central areas or from the large uh, cities in the kingdom. Uh, The other thing, um, I think, yes, it depends on where they are from or they're depending on the supply or if they got those new uh, equipments. Uh, I also noticed some people are a little bit afraid of the pumps. Um, In my family, a few um, of my... um, uh, cousins actually have um, type one diabetes, and, and two of them actually, their parents are not very comfortable having uh, the pumps, so they still prefer the injections. But they are still they are here; they're offered, and That's I think it's based on preference. Yeah, I, I actually mm. know a few families that fly to America, buy mm. products in cash, and fly back, um, mm. and maybe. Maybe things are changed since even I've heard those stories. That's, uh, that's, I mean, it, it makes sense too that as you get further away from population centers, care, mm. care, I don't know if it slips or if maybe just the ideas haven't gotten out because there's fewer people and, you know, they don't get a chance to see each other using them. I would also wonder how you keep insulin cool there. Like, yeah, they will, it's same, same thing. Same thing yeah. applies, uh, to the U.S. in the summertime. They will always move with their small um, refrigerators with them. Okay. All right. But we don't do lots of summer activity in the summertime. So um, unlike in the U.S., for example, in the U.S., you would be worried, right, about kids going camping or going for um, the beach or going for sports. Um, Very, very limited um, things we do outdoor in the summertime. So they're always in the refrigerator. I understand. You guys need some trees. Um, Yeah, referring back (laughs) to the... um, to the pump. Um, I also don't want to give wrong information. There might be other factors that I'm not you know, pretty aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just, um, no, it's want to be you know, honest enough. I might not be very familiar with all the other factors. Okay. No, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm just interested in your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so when, when you get your PhD, I guess that kind of drives your 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 focus moving forward so you come home was it always the plan to come home and practice yes it was so you come home with an eye on helping um with the cognitive issues and you're you're in this Mm -hmm. one focus right now is that right or do you move outside of it as well i move a little bit um outside like for example uh lately um Actually, Julia specifically inspired me to look at that um, variable where transition, um, specifically that we don't have transition clinic. The transition clinic 
by itself is um, a new idea. In some specialties, they started applying them. For example, in um, rheumatology, they already have uh, transition clinics to treat kids who are moving from um, childhood into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, but for uh, type 1 diabetes, despite the, the high um, the high prevalence here, uh, they don't. And what's also um, concerning to me compared to the U.S. is that we consider um, children as, as to be treated in the pediatric clinic if they are from one day old until 14 years old only, um, unlike in the U.S. where they can continue with the pediatrician until they are um, 21, uh, if can, I'm not wrong, or 24. You can actually um, stay with your, if so, you're in college, here, I'm sorry. Exactly. Yeah, if you're in college, you can stay with your yeah, pediatrician until you've graduated. Yeah. I'm sorry, you broke up. Right. Sorry. No, I'm, here, um, here only until 14. Hmm. Once they get into pediatrician. Arwa, you just disappeared. I think we lost our signal. Yes, I'm back. Uh, hi. Did the, I'm back. Did the dog get you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm okay now. No, it's fine. You're super clear. Uh, so yeah. Don't worry. Uh, well, so that was uh, concerning to me because I was wondering what happened to those kids. Do we just send them to the adult um, uh, area uh, starting from 15 years old? How about if they're... Like even if you were considering them physically at puberty, m- in terms of mental or cognitive, or you're not, you don't know yet. You know, even deciding who's mature and who's not takes a psychologist to review that, right? Mm. Um, so they just at 14 years old, they just discharge them from the pediatric um, area and they send them to adults, where everything is different. The approach is different. The the provider is different, and, and the family should not be involved that much, and and all that has uh, an influence on their compliance. Can I ask you a question? Uh, so, is, mm. is that cultural, that age cutoff, or is that, like, yeah. it is? It's, it's uh, yeah, because um, I'm not sure if you're familiar. We consider <laughs> uh, for for a boy who's at puberty or a girl who's at puberty, they're considered already matured. Oh. So you have to, uh, for a female, she has to cover up from other male who are not from her family mm-hmm. and for the uh for the male he cannot be um he cannot be with other um females who are not among his family or they're not connect- they shouldn't they should cover up i see so in that case we regularly admit um admit them in um pediatric units of course that was mostly before we had uh shared rooms etc so usually the the sitters or the those who are admitted with the patient are usually mothers. So for this uh, patient to be a uh, boy at puberty, it was very in- inconvenient. So usually they they put that cutoff limit. So they, yeah, it's for segregation purposes to so help segregation mainly. Ma- make sure I understand. And it continued. Yeah. yeah. Make sure I understand. If my son was diagnosed right as he hit puberty in that age, then my wife could not go with him to the hospital because there'd be a, a commingling of genders, 
in in that they scenario? Could. No, no, no. It's no, just for could. admission. For, for admission. admission, usually for convenience, but no rule to prevent anything. No, okay. they can still go and and do everything together. But I mean, for convenience purposes, they organize it that way. So this one cultural idea leads <laughs> leads to separating, like putting children into adult care something that's really confusing that they're probably not ready for because at that age i mean i have to be honest at that age i was like stupid uh i didn't you know i didn't understand anything i had no context for anything still um i guess i didn't grow up where where these kids did so maybe i would have been more mature at that age i'm not sure uh but that's incredibly interesting so you said that the Mm. care differs between the segment of children and the segment of adults how does how does the idea of care change like for example, consider how the the care in um, in pediatric um, clinics, for example, is always family centered, right? Mm. Um, you're not gonna be able to access the child without his uh, parents, and in most of the cases, are usually uh, mothers. Um, but now, with with moving to adulthood. Um, you, your family are, are not really the focus. You are the focus. Now you should be all of a sudden uh, the one who is um, taking care of all the details, including um, scheduling and, and c- compliance and, and not only prescri- uh, administering your medication, but following up all these different um, appointments and supplies etc uh so the approach is different now you're not only communicating you you used to communicate with the whole uh family but with adults you mostly communicate with the patient how does that work and then the other thing mm, I like th- does say that, that again I'm, how does that end up working out like is that a like a, okay. a rock solid the, plan and everybody's doing really well and super healthy or is it problematic Somewhere in between. It's uh, it's actually a very good question because um, when I came back and I noticed that uh, I, I I communicated with some of the endocrinologists um, we work with the pediatric endocrine and and they they told me that they they tweak a little bit of, uh, within the system just to keep their patients with them until the physician feels very comfortable uh, discharging the child from um, pediatric to uh, adult. Um, which is uh, to me, it's it's a, a, a nice, and but at the same time, it takes a lot of um, effort from the physician side to, um, are, um, what do you call it? Um, assess the kids, right? Yeah, and figure out who's assess ready. Assess and, and yeah, and they still have to what do you call it? Compromise a little bit um, and um, um, talk with with sometimes admin people or or you know hospital admin people because they they keep pushing for that like you have to move this child to adulthood he's he's already in the system he is 14 you need to uh, move him to adult but then they will go and and a little bit yani advocate for their patient to just keep them uh, under their care until they feel um uh comfortable um making sure that the child started to de- um be independent start administering his medication while following up his uh, coming at least to the clinic sometimes alone uh, etc and once they feel they're ready they 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 um transfer them but it's not always possible sometimes you will have to do that what are a1c goals there mm, i don't have an accurate number but i'm assuming well what would you ask some what, what would you hope someone wish was aiming for 
if you were if you were I would say you know I mean? six six point five, I would say. Okay. Six point five. Mm. Is diet there? Uh are there any cultural differences in foods that make type one management easier or more difficult? Um I would say yes. Um it would make it more difficult just because the um, the culture or the lifestyle here is is um sedentary a little bit because especially the the weather mm-hmm. um people are very reluctant to go out with that um weather especially in the summertime and and summertime or summer weather specifically coincides with the summer vacation which is quite long um and not every not all kids get to travel or do uh activities most of them are indoors um um gyms and look or to 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 participate in in a gym or something indoor usually cost money it's not possible for all families to offer that for all uh, their kids so i would assume uh, the the diet with all the options we have people like dessert here people like variety of food we have very um now that the fast food thing is is becoming um an expertie here uh, like making uh, all sorts of U.S. fast food, but now we no longer have chain restaurants, or we do, but we're very becoming very like good at making our own local uh, restaurant or fast food, and especially um, kids that they're like adolescents are, you know, they cannot resist all these um, options, especially in the summertime. Wow. So I'm assuming it would be a little bit difficult. Yeah. I personally noticed that when I came back, people eat lots of snacks, unhealthy snacks here compared to um, um, in other countries where snacks are limited. Here they have a lot of uh, options. And it's very tempting. We're very, very good at making dessert here. Very, very good. Like insanely good. (laughs) You're welcome, by the way. Uh, uh, We've exported all of our best goods to you to learn from. Uh, Uh (laughs) McDonald's. Congratulations. Uh, That's terrible. Uh, Can I ask just from a personal like standpoint, what um, is there anything you miss about the U.S.? Either professionally um, or personally? A lot. Mm. Um, I miss a lot. Um, I miss the weather. I miss uh, the green life. I, 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 I got very uh, attached to um, the lifestyle where I do go out uh, during the summer all the time to parks, mountains, lakes, rivers. I miss all this, uh, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, um, I miss the diversity very much. Um, I, I kind of got addicted to it. So now every time I go out or socialize, I get bored very quickly because people are mostly the same here. <laughs> They're from the same culture, from the same place. We, we, you know, we don't have a lot of, like, we don't have a strong immigration history. We do have expats coming to work here, but not immigration per se. So people don't end up mixing and being just one, um, one country. No, we still have a lot of people coming to work, but not so much mixing and unless you make active effort to do that which i ended up doing i ended up joining uh meetup groups as if i am still in a new country just to um just to um fill that need of of meeting new people or diverse people every time that's interesting i yeah i guess you ask a question and once it gets answered the same way four or five times in a row not a lot of excitement about asking it again exactly yeah Exactly. Right. Well, yeah, that's, that's it was interesting. always interesting here to uh, um, 
to conversate with people and, and um, you always see different religion, different um, culture, different ethnic background or, or different interests too. Like people here usually do the same thing. A like majority of people are kind of similar and even they're, and you know, we're very social oriented um, society here. Yeah. We still like to um, fit in um, and it's, it's now it's changing at least, but um, still like the overall um, picture is that everyone looks the same, talks the same, uh, does the same thing and you, so on. You made me think of earlier, I, you kind of had a light bulb go off in my head when you said people are either at home or in the mall. And it reminded me of a time I visited the Dominican Republic and there was this mall and it just mm. felt like everyone was in it. It was mm. it was the busiest place I had ever seen in my life, and it never occurred to me that it was about getting out of the hot weather, until right. you just said that. Um, and and the the idea of diversity that's not going to change there anytime soon, I would imagine. Uh, it's actually changing in Riyadh, specifically in Riyadh. Riyadh now is becoming like a very um, big hub for all like um, new companies and new investments, and with. Uh, uh, with the with most of the the vision of 2030, all this is they're attracting uh, more uh, businesses to open in Riyadh. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of people coming to work in Riyadh um, every year. Oh, that's um, great. It's interesting. Yes, it's very interesting um, compared to before. Now I see more and more um, opening of. Uh, if you go out now, you see a lot of people from different places going out more before with with uh, covid and all the travel restriction people would come work and then they travel you would rarely see them coming out in the weekend or coming to entertain in Riyadh. but now with the covid restriction i came to realize how much diversity we have in Riyadh uh, because now with all the travel restriction people ended up spending their weekends here or spending their vacations in, in, in Riyadh. So mm -hmm. you will start seeing people from different um, countries and places in, in uh, Riyadh. And some of them are actually and I immigrating. Think, and I think it's going to get even uh, more diverse because the plan is to have like more um, um, uh, foreign companies opening their headquarters in Riyadh. Mm -hmm. So I'm expecting to see more and more. That's exciting. That that's probably particularly exciting for someone like you who's lived somewhere that's more diverse. It is. Yeah. I'm I'm enjoying it very much. Uh, I I. Um, it's true. You don't see any um, changes at the level of the society, like comparing it to people who would be living here for years and years, changing even the like building block of the country itself. But you will still. Um, um, see, see, start to see changes, people opening up more now and, and being more um, accepting of differences. Or Now you don't have to do active effort to look like everyone else because you will start being more welcomed and accepted the way you are. I see. What's... So I'm enjoying it for now. Yeah, I would be excited. Are, are you married? I didn't ask. No, I'm not. I have no idea what's happening right now. 
Siri just started talking for some reason. That really messed with my head. It hasn't happened in a long maybe time. Maybe she wasn't happy with the question. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got to try harder. I, I, I Marriage could, question. I couldn't hear with my headphones on. Do you think it was, do you think my speaker just started going like, come on, buddy, try harder? No, I just was, uh, <laughs> I was just interested. So you, you're, you're, are you, is that something you're interested in? What, or, marriage? Yeah. Uh, Ooh. Is it know. uncommon is it for you to feel that way at your age living there? It is mostly. Most of the people I'm in my age are um, uh, married and have kids, including like, yeah, I mean, whether if despite of the gender. Uh, but um, I think, especially living in, in Riyadh, again, I will keep pointing um, back to Riyadh, is because even in Riyadh, the, not only the becoming the, the hub for all the new jobs and um, for all career, um, nice career pathways, people would move to Riyadh from different cities, even in, in the kingdom. So you start meeting people at, um, at their 30s who, who marriage is not in their um, priorities mm-hmm. uh, because career is, is their priority mostly. Um, so now it's becoming common that you see people in my age who are not married and they're okay. They're okay. they're not uh, desperately looking for it, or they're not facing pressure from the family to to get married. It's becoming normal, just another normal. Um, I, I think it's mainly because of career. Um, yeah. Most of the people I meet who are in my age and are not married, they're always um, very. Um, passionate about their career what they're doing so it basically breaks down some lines like you're gonna build a family or you're gonna or build a career but it doesn't those two don't mesh well together like the idea of two really career motivated people living together doesn't happen quite as much uh no, it is, um, but not for you. But I think it's very interesting. If if we if you will start talking about this, I will be <laughs> talking for like a few more hours. But <laughs> I think I think um, what happened is with this transition, the 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 two the sudden and quick changes that happened in Saudi in terms of society um, and economy. Of course, economy has been okay all the time, but now is there's major society um changes for example now we, we're driving before we didn't um and all the breaking of the segregation that's happening now in many places etc so there's major dramatic societal changes uh what happened is uh in those on their 30s um they're still they're in between Mm. <laughs> they're not from those who are before uh, the, the generation who are older or they're not even the, the current generation who are already um, experiencing uh, these changes that they don't feel anything different. For us or people in my age, uh, we're facing lots of uh, conflicting um, ideas. Uh, we continue to um, compare what we see now compared to what we've been taught or what we've been used to do or what we've been prevented from doing, etc. compared to now where everything is um, different. Yeah. So I think what happens is um, those who cope very well and, and um, adjust quickly and, and, and fit in, they, um, they might 
they need to find someone who's similar to them, uh, who, who's adjusting well and, and adopting all those new um, changes um, without feeling any conflict, any internal conflict. And, and here comes the problem. I think girls are doing much, much better in this compared to guys in our age. Um, where they still not sure if they like what they see now and, and if they're okay to completely adjust to yeah. what they see. And, and they're still stuck to some old um, ideas or old about, you know, about gender, about uh, what to expect from a wife, what to expect from marriage, all these Right. Well, does that so make I think s- I'm in that uh, space, in that gap, in yeah. that space. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, listen, it makes sense, right? Because when when human rights and civil rights and things like that get more and more available for people, it really does end up benefiting women exponentially, right? Where exactly. right? Whereas men are like, wait, so then yes. there's no lady that's going to clean the stuff and make me food. Like, you know, like you get a, you don't get quite the same deal if you're on the other side of it. Uh-huh. So that makes a hundred percent sense. And so yeah. people are holding out. They're like, I wonder what life could be. I'm going to wait and pick something <laughs> yes. cool. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Some of them are actually waiting. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be stuck inside in the air conditioning. Yeah. Washing and with, this guy's and because- a lot of girls in Saudi now, they don't want to wait. They feel that they spend so many years uh, in that old mentality and they don't want that anymore. So they're very eager to live their life to their maximum um, capabilities and maximum potentials, either at work or even in social life. So they always have plans. When I meet girls in my age, it's it, it's it's very surprising um, and interesting because most of them are in the same page. Most oh. of them, they just want to enjoy all those privileges that we have right now yeah. uh, i can travel um anytime anywhere um you can do any hobby that you wanted before and was not an option for example music uh, playing instruments you can only do that at your home or practice it with your family but never something that you can work on or be uh have it as a career or something that you can make business out of it yeah. now everything is just all of a sudden open um, it's what, kind of distracting even from looking for a marriage, believe it or not. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like Netflix for life. Like there are so many options yeah. that, <laughs> that you just scroll yes. and scroll and scroll and never watch anything. You're just like, there's yeah. too much to do. I can't pick. Uh, but that makes sense though. And I, it kind mm. of sounds exciting. What, what do you think started that kind of boom? Was there one cultural shift that moved everything in a different direction? Mm. I think there are so many, yeah. but um, for example, I'll give you a very, very simple example. <clears throat> Some of the, um, uh, I think King King uh, King Abdullah previously, he was Prince Abdullah, but and then I think you probably, I'm not sure if you're familiar with all the uh, royal family members, but King Abdullah, for example, he started a move that was, I think, about 15 years ago where um, they started the um, studying abroad program. Mm-hmm. They have, um, they created um, a program where they uh, sponsor students with high um, GPAs, for starting from like with the, when they finish high school, and and they they can sponsor they sponsor them for uh, studying abroad uh, programs in different countries. Started with the U.S., Canada, U.K., and many others, but the three main uh, big countries that we used to go is uh, the the. U.S., Canada, and um, 
the UK. It started a long time ago, about 15 or 20 years ago. I think the plan would, from what you see, uh, uh, is that they want to prepare um, uh, a generation of people who are, um, let's say, um, Western um, educated. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, um, they're, they're used to seeing different cultures because think about it, we've been a little bit يعني, introvert for some time uh, in terms of like exposing to a different cultures, different races, different religion. So I think the plan was is to not only um, make them get Western education, but make them mix with other uh, cultures or other uh, religions. And, and then when they come back, they're more ready to absorb the, the, the new changes or that, that are already happening. So I think that worked for a um, big part of what's happening because those students, when they came back, most of them now are the leaders in most of the, mm-hmm. um, let's say, ministries, um, all the like government services or all the big, big uh, companies in um, Saudi Arabia. Um, so I'm assuming that in part worked. And then, um, of course, uh, the, the, the new prince, Mohammed um, bin Salman, with that new, of course, that's the first and the only time we ever had a young uh, leader, that young leader. Um, and that kind of changed everything because he is, um, I think he has courage to change things that others were very reluctant to change. Just they were very afraid to change uh, those social um, things that were yeah, uh, thoughtfully, yeah, thought about it as religion when in fact it wasn't. Right. So I think he was just uh, courageous enough to start pushing for those changes. That has been already there, but it we would no one has the like really the courage to um, apply them or implement them. Right. I have to admit, the first time that I saw in the news that it was a big deal that a woman was driving a car, I was mm-hmm. I stopped me for a second. And I thought wait, women couldn't drive cars? Like, I didn't, mm-hmm. that was not something that even occurred to me. But it, it, this is, mm-hmm. it, so it's kind of fascinating because you're you're transitioning, but that transition still has to happen culturally and s- slowly to some degree. Like, you can't, I, I imagine you can't just, like, if you could just magically flip a switch and move everybody into a different space, it would probably short circuit most people's minds, right? Like it's it's that mm-hmm. different from what they're accustomed to and what they were expecting growing up. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, but because um, uh, lots of people don't realize that, uh, just give me a minute. No, you're fine. Do we have to shoot somebody away? Givoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes, ages 2 and above. Not only is Givoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to givokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Givoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit givokeglucagon.com dot com slash risk. Next time you're out on the internet, type touched by type one into your browser and go see what they're up to. 
touchedbytype1.org. Now I'm going to get you back to the conversation. Yeah, my brother is just looking for my car keys. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's people don't realize that it, it, we didn't wait for driving to um, to start developing very quickly. Or were you broke up? Are you back? You're not back. Tell me when you can hear me again. Hello, hello, oops. Hello. Or, uh, sorry, hey. mixed environment. I'm so sorry. Hey, I got to cut yes. you off. You you were gone for about 20 seconds. So I apologize, but you the last thing I heard you say was um, it didn't just happen with driving. Yes. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, so I'm saying it, it, it didn't just happen when we started driving, mm-hmm. but it would it started a uh, very uh, long time ago. Um, we had women working in um, in businesses, uh, in medicine, in academia. Their deans, they're um, working everywhere from a very long time ago. My mom was uh, one of them, and then. Yeah, I mean, driving was a very, very um, minor compared to what we were um, empowered to do mm-hmm. um, long time ago. Um, what, what, what was going on is that um, for some reason, they associated driving with some religious um, restrictions, which wasn't a, a right um, connection. It was never... Uh, a, tr- a true connection that was made right. it was very easy for it to like stay there don't touch it okay that's fine just keep it it's not really preventing us from doing anything mm-hmm. we are can still study we can still travel we can still go to the u.s and do phd we can come back and be um prime ministers etc yeah. so it was never a barrier I, but uh if i had to guess so, yeah well, if I had to guess, it sounds like one of those things that men who wanted you to wash their clothes and make them food thought, oh, if we start letting women drive, they're going to get out in the world and figure out it's not as much fun to do my laundry as I told them it was. Doesn't that have like sort of like that just like the idea of you restrict somebody's travel or their ability to see other people or interact with other people who have different ideas, uh, then you restrict their ability to dream those things. And then you can kind of it's easier to control them than I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although we, we, it wasn't just about like washing the laundries. It, <laughs> it's more like, it's more deeper than that. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, it's hundred percent true. I, I get, I still meet people or conversate with people who would still feel threatened by, um, <clears throat> by having their wife driving. Mm-hmm. For the same exact reason, although they won't admit it, he would tell you, "Oh no, I'm afraid it's too crazy out there. Uh, people don't drive nicely. Oh, um, I don't have money to buy another car." They they will use all these other excuses. But mm-hmm. if you start pushing and pushing and pushing, here come to the to this true uh, true idea behind it is that it's it's a threat. Yeah, yeah, you get you get frightened that people will see a world <laughs> and think, "Well, this is better than the world I live yeah. in," you know, and, 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 and not come back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, and when you're when you're so accustomed to that being the truth, 
I mean, giving it away, if you look at it from the male perspective, like just giving it away must be, it must be difficult. You, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm 50 and in America, you know, I, I was, I was, I became a stay at home father in my twenties. It was incredibly uncommon at that time when mm. I, when I did it and it was looked at unfavorably by most of the older people in my life. They mostly looked at me like, oh, he's taking advantage of her and mm. he should be working. And they didn't understand that we thought that this was uh, the best balance for us, you, you know, and, and the yeah. way we can make things work. Um, mm. And I will tell you that there have been times when I'm growing up where I think I love the way my life worked out. But you do mm. wonder sometime, like, what was it like to you know, 1950s America come home and have a bunch of people just treating you like a, a king walking through the door. You know what I mean? Like that's never happened to me in my entire life. I don't think I would want that, but might've been mm. cool, cool to see it one time just to see what it was like. Uh, mm. You know, my, my example about the laundry is because I'm the one that does the laundry at the house and mm. I want to get away mm. from it. <laughs> yeah. I hate doing the laundry, uh, but that's, that's not the point. The, the point is that you guys are making these amazing leaps and are they, uh, and are, are they transitioning? I would think not just into medicine, but everywhere because you're getting new ideas. Uh, people who've been exposed to more, I mean, you, you might well see a real, a real uh, renaissance. Right. Actually with medicine, uh, they, medicine started to advance in the country way, 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 way um, Prior. back. Uh, um, it, 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 it was actually one of the few um, specialties that the country didn't really, um, or the country sponsored all uh, endeavors related to medicine from the early ages uh, of this country. So that's why uh, if you compare um, hospitals in Saudi Arabia, specifically Riyadh, compared to the other Middle Eastern countries, uh, even other Gulf countries, mm -hmm. um, we have some of the best um, physicians uh, and hospitals. I'm not saying this because I'm Saudi, but this because really, really, it's it's uh, it's true. They spend a lot of money in this. Uh, the country invested a lot. Most of them are prepared either in Canada, Germany, uh, UK, US. Um, most of them, they spend their fellowship there. Um, we're still collaborating with um, big hospitals um, and big. I'm not sure how you call those kind of companies, but those who develop hospitals. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of ongoing businesses that started um, decades ago. Yeah, they're like private for-profit hospitals, mm, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, well, I just had a question on the tip of my tongue, and it just fell right out of my head. Damn. Uh, shoot! 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 Where did it go? Where so you're, it go? you're asking about the transition. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I I blanked out for a second, but yeah, um, the 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 idea I'm wondering about is, will like at what point do we see the information that was brought back to other places, refined by other places, and built on top of? Like that's because mm -hmm. I don't think that diabetes care in the U.S. is particularly um, finished. Right. It, it's mm. better than it was, um, but you can still go to plenty of places who are operating like it's 10 or 15 years ago. And so mm. uh, it, my expectation. Well, I guess it's my hope 
is that the diabetes care will become more two-way, meaning people won't go into doctor's offices and just be told, do this, do this, do this, and then you come back and we'll measure it again later and we'll change some things. Like, I want to see people in a position of power, in a position to say, I'm going to make a change to my basal insulin, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to come to realize that this meal needs more insulin than this other meal and not just use some carb ratio and and just, you know, let my blood sugar be high for four or five hours afterwards. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if this spreading of information won't in time lead to people understanding that better. But I mean, do you think people understand that they need to be more proactive with diabetes care? Or do you think that that understanding exists some places and not others? Mm. Um, what's good about type one diabetes specifically, uh, that it's affecting the, unfortunately, at least considering that the prevalence is increasing with, uh, recently compared to before, I think it's being affecting the, the gener- the new generation who are very, um, let's say, first of all, they're tech savvy. Most mm-hmm. of them, um, they are they are being raised differently than uh, kids before. So most of them, they they do things because they want to do it. They need to be convinced. They, they You cannot tell them what to do anymore. You need to convince them why they need to do things. Mm. Uh, so uh, th- this type of, of mentality or mindset uh, is will make me think that it's possible. Yeah. Because you see them now. I... I interact with a lot of, um, like, let's say, um, um, school uh, school age stu- uh, school age uh, kids to um, adolescents. They they're very mature compared to we when we were at their age, mm-hmm. uh, and they're very independent. More, you know, they're they're given more opportunities uh, to to practice their independence compared to us back in the days, specifically girls, for example, I, I was not, I was never allowed to go to appointment alone or everything. My mom would be very worried. So she preferred to go with me. Now they do everything alone. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, I think it, it, this will facilitate um, the implementation of like self-care, all the principles of, of self-care or individualized um, care. However, what I'm, I think still, um, might be a barrier is the approach from um, medicine itself. Yeah. Um, the 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 like I think healthcare providers uh, are not um, confident enough that um, those kids are able to do that, and, and that's why they maybe insist on um, depending on the parents. Uh, so you know that's this age uh, generation difference where you as an, as an adult don't think that they know enough or they, they don't trust them enough. But unless if we start adopting this new mentality that, no, this new generation is able to do it just simply because they are raised differently. Um, they've been allowed to experience everything. They've been allowed to do, do things alone. So they are stronger than when we were um, at their age. So I think the change needs to start from that provider itself. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it, to see um, a generation of people who are less restricted than the one before them and to see what they kind of do with it. 
And, you know, obviously mm. everyone doesn't take it in a great direction, but some people really do. And that idea of self-care for medicine really translates to self-care for a person in total. Just their ideas mm. and their goals and their focuses, everything is uh, within their control, I guess, mm -hmm. and, and no one's telling yep. them what to do with it. So they're able to explore directions and your people are going to find people are going to find lives that they just never would have been able to find in the past uh, because they felt so. I mean, it, it, it's not even that you just felt so much, but th your parents were scared, like you said, and they would instill that fear on you, whether that fear was safety or religion or government or whatever it ends up being. And you, know, you can't do that mm. or we don't do this. We can't say this. We can't go here. I mean, you can't play a flute outside of your house. Um, mm. and, and now that just I, I'm super excited about where where it's heading. I think this is the a, a very exciting generation of people to pay attention to. I've always thought that I, I was interested that you said it, too. So. Yeah, they're very, uh, very, very self-determined for their age, honestly. Yeah, yeah. no, it's um, crazy. My I, daughter can I, be 35 if you talk to her. And she's exactly yeah, she's 16. You yeah. Know. Yeah. Like if you notice, especially now th these days, for example, I have three brothers. Uh, one of them is 40. Of course, they're all uh, adults, but they all can spend time with the, the, the um, friends from all different age groups, like they all together, they they have ten years difference from each other. Yeah. But when they gather uh, with their friends, they have friends from all age groups, and mm -hmm. they enjoy their time. They travel together. They do things. And I'm like, wow! Before we didn't do that. We would stick to people at our age. Yeah. Even for for me, when I when I gather with with my um, family, we can spend hours and hours conversating with. 16 years old and you would never feel that she's only 16. I interviewed three girls who were like 13, 15 and 17. I interviewed them together. They're these three friends who live um, on this island together and they all have diabetes. So I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, I would never done an interview with that many people before. And it was a little it felt like hectic to me sometimes. But when I got to the end, I thought, huh, that's crazy. I'm I could be their parents. And we just had a very normal conversation. Uh, it was just, right. it was fascinating. Three girls taking care of their diabetes at at you know, fifteen, I think sixteen, seventeen, like whatever they were. They're they're young, you know, and they just didn't come off as young. Like, don't get me wrong, they're still, you know, they're a little giggly sometimes, and you know, they maybe don't follow sarcasm as well as an older person would or stuff like that. But they're just they have thoughtful. They know who they are. I guess that's mm -hmm. really what it ends up being is you ask them a question and they know the answer because they're connected to themselves. They're not just these um, robots that that their parents are controlling through life. They're, they're autonomous people. And it is absolutely right. lovely, you know, really great. Right. See, I don't. I so don't, uh, again, go going back to the transition. Uh, um, yeah, I think. um Maybe they are better off compared to other um, generations, but I, I think still right that the, the purpose of transition clinics sometimes is really not only for the patient himself, but really it's for the provider mm. to, to 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 prepare for this transition because we we don't have some somewhere in the middle. We either have a pediatric who's very nice and who who will involve the whole family, and then all of a sudden we would have. Um, an, an adult uh, 
uh, endocrinologist who's used to older people and he was just ask specific questions and he's not going to dig deeper with, with the patient and just um, tell them a list of things that they need to do and then they just go home. Yeah, that's a shame when that uh, happens. Hey, but for, for, for this specific generation that we just say, said, I think uh, physician, physicians or let's say providers in general, whether physician or uh, nurse practitioners, they need to be um, prepared to um, trust them mm. uh, or um, at least to be able to assess um, those kids from different uh, standards or standpoint, not just use our, our own um, ideas that, oh, they're, they're young by default, we shouldn't trust them, or by default, they shouldn't be uh, controlling their uh, condition 100%, etc. Yeah, I mean, there are people who are able to do things that their age wouldn't indicate sometimes. And those people shouldn't mm. be left behind because you're like, oh, well, they're, they're 13, they don't understand. They're, I've had kids come on this show um, that are astonishingly good at taking care of their diabetes. And they're they're young. Mm. I have one coming up soon. Uh, a girl living in uh, Russia, and she's mm. young and found the podcast on her own and figured everything out by herself. It's fascinating, you know. Like really, really cool. And I think that that shouldn't be taken from people. Like everyone's not going to get it on a deeper level, but everybody should have the opportunity to try. Y you know, that's um. It seems like the old way of thinking about it was. Most of you aren't going to understand this, so I'm not going to bother explaining it to anybody. Um, you know, answer my questions, turn the dials, use a little more here. That's it. Mm. It's, um, and now there's glucose sensing technology, which just opens your eyes to what's really happening with your blood sugar. It's fascinating, you know. Um, amazing. Yeah. So what is your goal? Like, what do you, you, you got all this education, you came home, you're living a uh, a, you know, a different lifestyle in Saudi than probably, you know, two generations ago of your family did. What, what are you going to do with everything you've amassed? What is your, what is your hope? Okay. Um, um, it's a big question. In terms of career. Yeah, yeah it's a big question. <laughs> yeah. It's a very big question. And then it also keeps changing, I think, because um, sometimes what you come back hoping that you want to do is really not feasible mm. or probably not, I'm not going to say not possible, but it will might take you years and years to even um, do 10% of it. But uh, so, so you, I think what, what parts of uh, resilience mean is even your goals, you need to keep modifying them, not necessarily lowering your expectation of yourself, but no, maybe you now have a better perspective of how is it really uh going on here because I may, I may had uh, ideas about what I want to do, but when, when you come here and experience life here or, or the, um, the flow of things and, and what exactly needed, you might start realizing that there are other, other areas that needs to be um, worked uh, on as compared to what you had in your mind. Sure. Or instead of this one, this is more, uh, important for the country at this time specifically. Um, so this is what's been um, happening with me. It's been, I've been trying to um, um, find the, the right um, way to um, reach, um, or not reach, because I don't think there should be one goal that you reach it and then you're done. No, it's always uh, changing depending on the need. So th the plan is uh, when I did my uh, PhD, 
uh, I focused on cognitive functioning and, and how it's, it affects their school performance and then eventually their uh, chances of getting accepted in colleges and then getting good jobs yeah. for patients with renal failure. But now I'm trying to expand it more on other kids with chronic illnesses. Um, because what happened, uh, especially with renal uh, or children with renal failure, although it's considerably a rare condition, uh, especially in developed uh, countries, um, it's still um, the focus in their care is mainly stabilizing them, physiologically at least, mm-hmm. or maintaining, um, is, is at least to stay alive, decrease mortality, decrease morbidity, etc. But their advancement in career or um, schooling is not a priority at all. Which is, I understand why it started like that, but I also don't understand why it continued. Yeah. Of course, initially, you would just want to uh, make sure they survive, right? But then eventually, what? Is it just make them survive, but how about their quality of life? How about their opportunities to pursue their uh, life goals without affecting their economic um, status, etc.? Mm-hmm. So that was my plan, is to, to, to go back and, and dig deep in the system and find out those gaps where those kids sometimes just don't go to school because they get admitted quite often to the hospital. So the family feels a burden, and then they stop sending the kid to school. So mm-hmm. those kids will, uh, will, will not be able to uh, catch up with the schooling system Right, and some of them don't end up never going. They just to stop school. advancing, right? You just, so you just end up being as mature and as your age of when you're diagnosed with something. Like it's almost like getting sick ends your life instead of exactly right. Instead of figuring out a way to incorporate it into your life. Exactly. Yeah. Even sometimes when they get uh, the kidney transplanted, the new kidney transplanted, they still. Um, because of fear from getting infection, etc., some families don't send them to school. Um, of course, we don't have such a rule where they can be um, where they, yeah, where they can be referred to child protection services. Due to that, it's still not technically considered a neglect. Uh, we do have child protection services, but like not send them into school per se for a chronic condition is not really something clear cut, you know? I see. Um, so, so yeah, sometimes out of fear, they just don't send them to school uh, and it continues being a problem. So I, this is, w- this is where I started developing the research ideas. Mm-hmm. Why and what can we do uh, to prevent that? Um, I heard when, when I was in the city, I heard that they start, they have some tutoring programs where they can um, come to the child during his dialysis session and offer him some schooling, etc. We didn't have that. We don't have that yet. So my hope is was to create this um, program where it can be a collaboration between uh, Ministry of Health, Ministry of Education, where we can have a whole program established for children with chronic illnesses, uh, in in which they have uh, regular uh, follow up, regular uh, cognitive assessment. 
um, psychosocial assessment. Um, and it's, you know, embedded in the education system for these kids. Yeah. So they can sign up on this program once they are diagnosed. So we track them early on. We uh, identify any um, limitations if, if, if they have, if they have specific problems with math per se, just due to, for example, anemia, maybe with, with renal patients, for example, okay. um, maybe they will have specific problems with memorizing due to anemia and, and, and me- poor memory, etc. Do we, do we recognize that? Do we have that into consideration? Right. If yes, how, and, and, and what we're going to do about it. It's unfair that those kids are being treated as normal um, kids, or they should, they have all the right to be treated as normal kids, but I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes we will miss uh, some limitations that are specifically to their condition, mm-hmm. but we don't know. Yeah, so that they and don't, we don't become, do anything. Mm. So they don't become disposable, and you don't just see them as, oh, they've got an issue, and now that means they shouldn't enjoy the same ideas that everybody else gets to hope for. It's just exactly, it's amazing. It's beautiful. So you keep bringing them, the idea is to keep bringing them services. Um, that keep them up to speed while they're taking care of their health. Right. Yeah. That's. I mean, it's so simple, right? Doesn't it just make sense? You know, it like, does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People should not. It be- does. But I, as I, as I mentioned to you, when I came back, I realized we have other gaps that should start before that sh- that needs to be fixed before we start implementing such programs. For example, we 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 had we don't have school nurses yet. Okay. So when you first think about such a program, right, you would think immediately of the school nurse who will be doing the evaluation or the follow-up for this kid, at least in the school, right? Who will be going to do this, for example, cognitive assessment or uh, these regular assessments? I was hoping that this can be implemented in the school system. But if we don't have a school nurse for for a specific uh, school or for at least specific district, then who's going to do that? Right. So this is where I started realizing, okay, let me modify my goal and, and, and start looking for um, like other things related to that to see where the gap is, where you can start fixing the the issue is. Is it crazy um, to think that school nursing could become a thing? Like like if somebody got behind it, would there be a way to get it funded and 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 I think the of? funding is just the what's 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 uh preventing it's 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 uh, as a law it has been um, uh, issued four years ago. I see. But now each hospital needs to have a school nurse. Implementation? Not yet. Yeah. And I think mainly because of funding issues. Yeah, you have so, to. You, have to mm. you really do have to jumpstart things. They don't just... Either things mm-hmm. start out of necessity or they start because mm-hmm. someone who has the, the ability financially gets behind an idea and moves it forward quickly. There's no, right. there's so, no other way that things begin, really. Exactly. And yeah. you know what's the major, major problem here is the lack of data. Unlike in the U.S., where already um, well-established uh, research data are there to be to support your... Um, ideas. Let's say, yeah, to support yeah. your ideas or to support your proposals for policy, health policy changes, etc. We still don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why... Um, you come to realize that, okay, I need data in order for me to come and approach decision makers or uh, leaders in the healthcare sector where they have a lot of huge priorities to come and tell them, you know what, 
stop and fund school nursing system, first question that would come to mind, why, why, why now? Mm. Why is it urgent? But if you have the data and if you you can can show show that this is exactly what's going on, uh, those kids might be facing additional difficulties, making families, additional difficulties, finding jobs. Uh, They don't, they just can't, they are not allowed to make good GBAs basically Mm -hmm. just because of of how, how um, their condition is. So yeah, this is my hope starting from the basics and trying to establish some database. Well, I hope you uh, are able to figure out a way to make it happen because it, it's obvious while you're talking to me, like it makes me feel this way. It's, it's, it's obvious why things take so long to come together, mm. right? Like it's it just, mm. it's clear. There's so many moving parts and so many people that you have to uh, talk into it. There's money that has to be raised and you have to actually do the physical thing. It's not enough to just have a great idea. You actually have to accomplish it afterwards. And then it takes time. Then you imagine, then you bring in the school nurses and some of them you hire, suck and then you have to be replaced with other school you know it takes time to get it working smoothly and exactly and we all don't have that much time like we're all just like hey like my kids in school for this long or my life is only this long um and then people get frustrated that things like that don't exist and that frustration can sometimes end up um killing your motivation yeah yeah it just takes away your drive you just think oh i'll never get this done i might as well go do something different and um, you need people to do those difficult things and have those fights. So, right. Yeah. So you might as well be one of those people. Go get them. <laughs> you know, it's got to <laughs> yeah. be somebody's got to do it. Somebody has to decide. This isn't I mean, listen, it's a, a much different scale. But when I began this podcast, I thought I'm going to talk to people about diabetes the way they need to be spoken to and not the way that the establishment says is OK. Like that, right. that, that just needs to start there. Like we can't. Just keep telling people, oh, it's okay. You're fine. You're doing great. Don't worry about it. You know, meanwhile, they're having all the problems that come with out of control blood sugars. And then they're being told by somebody, don't worry about it. When they could have gotten actionable information that would have helped them maybe pull things together a little better. And and instead mm-hmm. we were, you know, oh, we don't talk to people like that. That's dangerous. You can't tell them. I'm like, you can't tell them how insulin works. Like, shouldn't we at least understand how insulin works? I mean, how many people yeah. don't understand how to pre-bolus a meal? Don't have never even been, it's never been mentioned to them ever. And they have diabetes. It's, it's crazy. Um, you know, so I just thought, well, I'm going to do it and we'll see what happens. So um, sometimes you just got to leap because trust me, there were people telling me not to do it. Um, established ideas were uh, very much against it. And I had to fight through many times of people, you know, speaking poorly about me behind my back or sometimes to my face and telling me that I'm doing Mm. it wrong. I'm doing it wrong. And I was like, well, you can do what you're going to do. And I'm going to I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And uh, it worked out very nicely. And um, I hope you have the same kind of a success. What's your background? If I may ask, I have no background. What to speak of? <laughs> I um, <laughs> no, I mean educational. What, no, no yeah, I what's know your you, specialty. I, what's your I know you do, and I don't have any background. I graduated from high school. I went to sh- I went to work in very blue collar jobs. Um, okay, I met a woman who was nice enough to recognize that I might be more than my station, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, mm. We made a family. And mm. uh, my second child, our daughter Arden, was diagnosed with type 1 when she was 2. I mm. began using the skills I had writing to write about it online when she was 3. And wow. about 7 years ago, after developing 
I don't want to call it a system, but developing a way of managing blood sugars, no matter what you're eating and keeping A1Cs. Mm. My daughter's A1Cs has been in the fives for like seven years and she has just mm. no diet restrictions. And it, it's because I fundamentally understand how to use insulin. So about seven mm. years ago, I started this podcast and uh, I began. Oh, this podcast is seven years old? It is wow. seven years old. Yeah. And it's... um been heard, you know, it's been downloaded. I think we're up to about 4 million now. And um, wow. it's all over the world. And if you go to, just as an example, the Facebook page for the podcast, you will see people constantly all day long, either sharing their struggles and helping each other or sharing their successes and motivating other people. It's really like That's astonishing, amazing. you know, and, and it just was and, and I will honestly tell you that on day one of this, somebody established in this community told me, you can't do this. Do not talk to people like this, that you can't tell people this stuff. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. I think I think I can. And I'm going. It's not it. a secret. Well, yeah. Well, it is a secret mm -hmm. because people are scared to, they're scared mm -hmm. to say anything that isn't concrete about diabetes. And I believe mm -hmm. that people are smart enough to hear nuance and apply it to their life. Crazy me. Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah. yeah. What's the problem with telling people that is, is not concrete now after COVID, everybody knows that nothing is concrete. Yeah. Right. So I think people are, I think I, again, you know what, Scott, I really think it's the old mentality that, uh, younger generation are fragile. Don't tell them this. They don't need to know this. They don't need to know all the details behind this and, and, and so on. Right. Um, so I think you, you came to, um, realize from your experience with your uh, daughter that they are not um they're actually sometimes stronger than us because they are just born in in a different generation um so well, to even i think it came in the right time uh despite all the <laughs> the recommendation not to right. uh it came in the right time where where kids at this age are um prepared for this level of knowledge for this de depth for um, these uh, specifications that they're able to deal with it, especially yeah. that this came with technology, advancing in technology and having this um, smartphone in, in my hands with all those potentials that it has, mm -hmm. it, it became very easy for this generation to uh, absorb all those details yep. and apply it in their daily life. Unlike us before, I mean, our generation, we, we only had TV. And we only watch whatever they tell us to watch, right. whatever they have on the TV. But now they have this, they can choose. Every moment they have the ability to choose what to read, what to listen to, and, and what to write. So okay. all this gives them this capacity to deal with all those details. Maybe you, we are more fragile than them now. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, and you just keep getting to enrich yourself any way that you see fit. And I'll tell you, too. There's an aspect of forward thinking that impacts the podcast success that you would never consider, but mm -hmm. it, it's it's this, is that 10, 15 years ago, if I would have done this, let's say the technology existed and, and I could have done this, it's a full-time job. So Arwa, mm -hmm. I can't, I, I have to sell ads on this podcast. If I don't, I can't do this, right? So 10 mm -hmm. or 15 years ago, if I had a podcast, this same podcast, and it had ads on it, people would have yelled at me for making money from diabetes. They'd say, well, you can't make money off of someone else's illness and ads are insulting to me. And trust me, I've seen it happen to people. But mm. somewhere in the last handful of years, 
people became savvy enough about the internet to understand that if you want somebody to give you something that is consistent and quality, that they're going to need to put time and effort into it and that they have lives Mm -hmm. as well and bills and families. And so suddenly no one, it's a, it's an idea that's gone in the world. Like no one watches a YouTube video. And when the ad comes up, yells and screams at the ad, you go, all right, I understand. I'm not paying for this. The ad's paying for this. I get it. And, and Mm -hmm. now that that's acceptable, that actually supports me because honestly, this is, I record with you today, someone tomorrow, another person on Thursday. In the last 48 hours, I've edited together five episodes and prepared them to be online. I've probably put, I've probably put 45 hours into the podcast in the last four or five days. And, and, and that's a, that's a job, right? So Mm -hmm. now I'm suddenly able to do that because of people's acceptance and growth and understanding of how the world works. Everybody needs to understand reality so that they can have reactions and experiences that are real and not just, you know, I'm going to be mad at you because you have a podcast and it makes money and I wish I had a podcast, you know what I mean? Or something like that. It's just, it's, it's a growth of people that's allowing us to help people grow. It's really cyclical. Right. Yeah. And I bet you also have some of your um, fans are probably YouTubers too, right? Because now all kids are YouTubers. They all talk in the YouTube language. <laughs> I have my nephews. They, they, they know all the details behind how to become a YouTuber. They know how much money they will give you. you they know what, what is the, the guidelines and how long is your YouTube should be and how many likes yeah. get in order for you to sustain they're, they're i'm talking about people kids who are uh, 11 years old or, or nine years old you know the language i'm talking about right here. right no it's, it's something very advanced yeah i mean so that's why I, they 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 it's easy for this generation to understand why you need to maintain ads in your um right why you need to have ads in your um show etc it, it's it's very easy unlike before so i think it all happened just in the right time it really did and there also seems to be this idea now that people seem to want good for other people like it's not as competitive anymore i guess it, you know so mm. it, you know so they look at you and they go oh you have an ad in your podcast that's cool i, I hope to have a blah 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 you know and they're they're yeah. excited by the op- by the possibility and and i talk this way about diabetes as well because there used to be a, a a fervent idea that you did not share your success with insulin online. Like don't show people flat graphs. Don't show them that you could bolus for pancakes because you're showing off and you're making other people feel badly. Well, I didn't believe that. What I thought was that if I could do it, then maybe you could believe that you could do it, right? Like to, mm. to, to have an example in front of me that's like, wow, that's that, that's possible? Oh, okay, well, I'll try that. And And I think that people feel the same way about the podcast. Older people will look at me and say, well, you make money from a what now? And they're almost mad about it because they, Mm. because they worked the last 30 years in a car plant manufacturing cars. Mm. And I get it. Like in their mind, I'm sitting in a room and I'm just chatting. And, but Mm. younger people are like, oh, that's cool because they see it as a way to live. Whereas Mm. older people see it as a, as a, like somehow like you cheated. It, it, and it's all right. just perspective. It's it's really terrific. I, I'm excited about what to come. And I'm excited that there are people like you out there having thoughts like this. Um, uh, one more last uh, thank you. Uh, one more last uh, 
idea before <laughs> before it slips away from me. Um, I think what's what was uh, although I, I I was a bedside nurse and specifically the 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 unit I worked at was um, subspecialized in endocrine and nephro. So I, I dealt with lots of newly diagnosed. Um, one uh, diabetes kids with a lot of DKA uh, after they're stabilized, of course, not not in critical care, but in um, the unit. Um, however, my experience with um, one of my uh, cousins who had uh, type 1 diabetes since he was, I think, 11, and then with Julia specifically, being the first close friend of mine who, who had um, uh, diabetes. So it, it, what was nice about this experience is that it simply normalized um, living with um, diabetes, even for me, mm-hmm. for someone who was from the healthcare uh, area. But I, I never lived with diabetes daily. I never had diabetes as part of my daily conversation or routine or where I have to um, like think about it all the time. Um, whenever we talk about, oh, she will check her blood sugar, or she will mention her blood sugar, and then we'll mention something about the, the, the diet, or today I, I had my blood sugar, blah, 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 that's why I'm feeling this now. And so it was part of the daily conversation. So it, it was to me like something normal. I'm not saying normal in terms of like, of course, they're, they're not normal in terms of their physiological needs, they're different, but at least um, they're not isolated anymore mm-hmm. or just be- they have to be isolated just because you have this condition. It helped Having you. this normalization, making even the conversation, the terminology very, um, you know, very, what do you call it? It's Reacquainted. Exce- it's, so everyone yeah. knows it. And, and it's not something, oh, you have diabetes and I don't, I don't need to feel sorry about you mm-hmm. anymore. I just feel this is part of life. Someone has diabetes, someone doesn't. And that's right. it. Yeah, this is yeah, how life. Uh, but before you don't know that, that there are a lot of people who are experiencing this on a daily basis and you have to deal with it. So what I like about the uh, approach of Julia, um, where she used to share this with us all the time, is was it, it was normalizing it to me. I was not stressed out or, I mean, worried when I'm whenever this topic is um, mentioned in front of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm more prepared to deal with it, even psychologically. That's just because it happens in front of me all the time. Yeah. Uh, so I think even podcasts like yours serves this purpose unintentionally, where you, you, you're meeting with people different countries and you're normalizing the the the, the experience of type 1 diabetes right. and making it very special honestly it's, a, it's an out and proud mentality it really is it's just like mm. i'm not going to hide anything you get to see it and then like you said after i see it a number of times it becomes normal to me something that i hadn't seen before and then it that's it the issue's gone it just disappears into the ether you just that's all mm-hmm. you have to do is, you know, what is what do they say? Uh, sunshine's the best uh, antiseptic. Is that the saying? Um, I'm probably mm-hmm. not right. Right um, now, I've said it, and I now I'm gonna hold on a second. Sunshine, <laughs> I'm gonna find it. Is uh, mm-hmm. the sunshine is the best disinfectant, which just means mm-hmm. you know bring things out in the light of day, and it uh, it takes care of the rest. Right. You know, right. and that's amazing. Right? Yeah, I, it's it's mm-hmm. very exciting. Um, so. Would you say in general then, based on your studies and and what you're saying is that is to take someone with an illness 
who and understand hopefully that that illness isn't such that's um it's going to you know end their life if, if it's something you're going to live with that you need to get up and get back to normal as fast as you can and that you might need to understand that you're going to need some support in different places yes but that the most important thing you can do is to not stop keep going and don't give away the idea that the life you thought you could have is still available to you right yeah absolutely that's it i love it all right we did it mm. thank you yeah Oh, thank you. Thank you for um, giving me that chance um, to uh, share my perspective from a thousand miles away. Um, I hope um, things went very well with the recording and uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. Oh, you're very welcome. No, everything's great. You sound terrific. I've got, I've got your recording captured here and I'm, uh, I'm super excited to share it with people. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. I'd also like to thank Touched by Type 1 for their continued and longtime support of the Juice Box podcast. Check them out at touchedbytype1.org and find them on Facebook and Instagram. Don't forget the T1D Exchange, t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Take a few minutes and fill out the survey.